up, everybody? Sarah Spain for a little solo Spain and Fitz tonight. ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We got a lot of good guests tonight to talk. Tourneys, women's and men's. Les Snead, the GM of the Super Bowl champion. Ram's going to join us, talk about the women in football form, and also, of course, that parade shirt. We got a new driver of our clown car to get to today. But we got to start with the Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless, and that is the moves in the NFL. It's the legal tampering period, which will always be an absolutely ridiculous name. But we were reminded today that it is not officially signing time by one Randy Gregory, who, by all accounts, was ready to sign a long-term deal, stick with the Cowboys, five years, $70 million. And then ended up instead flipping and heading to the Broncos, who are putting in a bid to win this offseason already. First, Russ Wilson now stealing Randy Gregory. And, I mean, I think it's pretty simple. It comes down to basically Randy Gregory saying this to the Cowboys. Psych! (laughs) But I guess there's a little more to it. So a real expert, Dan Graziano, was on this just in to talk about what Dallas does now after watching Randy Gregory slip out of their hands. Zadarius Smith got cut by the Packers yesterday. You know, Von Miller has Texas roots. Uh, Chandler Jones is still, you, you can get guys. The Cowboys don't like to go outside their building and spend on other people's free agents uh, because they like to pay and retain their own. But in this case, they weren't able to do that. Yeah, uh, this is going to be a sticky situation for the Cowboys who already lost Amari Cooper. You know, maybe they, maybe they were in on that, but you still got to fill those positions of the guys that they decide to let go, or in this case of Randy Gregory, lose. And uh, you could say a whole lot about uh, the language in the contract for the Cowboys that maybe caused Randy to say he preferred the Broncos. But in the end, again, I'll just sum it up with this. Psych! Yeah, and I'm sorry. I know the Cowboys fans are going to be in my mentions, but finishing the season... With that absurd, terrible play call and just blowing it and then the, starting the offseason with this. Oh, man. It's hard. It's hard. I try not to be, I try not to be, you know, reveling in the sadness of others. But there's something about that Cowboys team that just makes you feel good when things aren't going well for them. A lot more moves during this legal tampering window, um, including... Uh, Aaron Rodgers' contract finally coming coming up. And we're going to get into this a little bit later when we get to the clown car section of the show. Uh, but Ryan Clark had this to say about Aaron Rodgers getting $150 million over three years. I think Aaron Rodgers has set himself up to be in the perfect position. He set himself up that every year the Green Bay Packers will be waiting on him to make a mm-hmm. decision on whether or not he'll be their quarterback. And every year he'll get a boatload of money. But also this team is set up to win. They've won 13 games in each of the last three years and been to the eight, to the NFC yep. Championship two of those years. And that's what they want to continue doing. So they're trying to keep all of their good players, starting with Aaron Rodgers, who's the best quarterback in football. This is a smart move for Aaron Rodgers. This is a smart move for the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, we'll get into some of the details of that and why it was a little bit silly for Rodgers to tell us it wasn't about the money. But uh, certainly, he set himself up. And he got the thing that he always wanted. And I, I thought it was pretty obvious, but I was surprised over the last two years plus how few people seem to be focusing in on the fact that what he wanted was security, 
What he wanted was uh, the ability to control his own situation and the surprise drafting of Jordan Love without a warning beforehand and the potential to be kicked out on his butt instead of getting to tell the team where and when he wanted to de- to leave and be done. That, to me, was the ultimate insult to his pride and his ego. And so it was, of course, about getting money, and he did secure the bag very clearly here. But this is about being able to tell the Packers when he's going to stick around and when he's going to play because the dead cap on this deal Wait till you hear the numbers on that. Again, we'll get to more Aaron Rodgers and the little okie-dokie tried to pull on us a little bit later. But there's another quarterback in the news, and it's Spain and Fitz, Solo Spain here on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. It's Deshaun Watson, of course, and there is so much yet to still be figured out about this man's future. He's only 26 years old at the time of him electing to sit and not uh, demanding a trade from from, uh, the Texans before he was forced to sit. Uh, He was considered one of the best in the game, and teams were rolling out the red carpet trying to get him before those civil lawsuits and criminal allegations. Now, on Friday, a Harris County grand jury did not find enough evidence to charge him with the crime, but he is still facing 22 civil lawsuits, and we have seen in the past that the NFL can still suspend or punish players for conduct unbecoming, even without those criminal uh, charges attached. So are these teams... On the phone with Roger Goodell every day, we already heard the Carolina Panthers and the Saints have made trade offers for him. We heard the Colts did as well and were immediately shut down. Uh, Texas don't want to send him to the Colts. So if you've got these meetings with the Panthers and Saints and now Diana Rossini telling us that he's directly reaching out to the Falcons and has interest in them, the question is who should be interested and who should be out? And Dan Orlovsky says when it comes to the NFC, almost everyone should be in. I think everybody in the NFC, minus six teams should be calling. I think the only six teams that should not call Houston and figure out what the potential cost is are Dallas, the Rams, Tampa Bay, Chicago, Green Bay, and now Minnesota because of Kirk. Everybody else should be calling. Calling, of course, right? Uh, regardless of how you feel about everything that's happened to Deshaun Watson, you've got to kick the tires and see what the situation is. What does it mean for his future that there is not going to be criminal charges pursued, but that he still has these 22 civil lawsuits? And worth asking more questions about those lawsuits and those alleged victims, because if this is a serial offender with a pattern, does that simply stop because he was caught and there are allegations? Is that someone who is in control of his behavior and can be not only a contributor in terms of a football player, but the face of your team? the leader of your team. And he has a no trade clause, which means that he gets to select the place that's a good fit. And that team also gets to decide whether or not they want to make him uh, the leader of their team and give up a boatload. Because at this point, I know the pressure is on the Texans to not have him sit another season and waste for nothing, but they got to get a haul back for the guy if they're giving him up. Uh, and, And it's a It's a very complicated situation. Um, We will keep an eye on that. We've also got Jimmy G out there. Uh, We've got my guy Maserati Mitch signing with the Steelers. Hoping the best for him. But we'll keep an eye on all of these moves. Also, Ryan Clark going to join us a little later in the show to talk about who's winning and losing this offseason. The Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up on Spain, if it's NCAA tourney has officially begun with the first four games underway. We'll get you set out to fill your brackets when Dallin Cuff joins us next. Spain and Fitz. The brackets are open, baby. You've got to download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to get started on yours. You can also go on the website. Remember, you can fill out up to 25 men's and women's brackets for a chance to win 
$100,000 prizes for both the men's and women's tourneys. For more details, see the Tournament Challenge app. It's Solo Spain tonight. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. I will be competing against all of you in the Spain and Fitz brackets, in the Around the Horn brackets. There's even a Sarah Spain group just to try to beat me personally. So I can't give away all my secrets when it comes to the tourney. So happy to welcome in ESPN College Basketball Analyst Dallin Cuff. You can follow him at Dallin Cuff on Twitter to break down all of the men's brackets ahead of the big action. And I, I have to ask, I, I heard Jay Billis talking about something that I thought was sort of fascinating, treating these players a bit like students. At the end of the semester, you've learned a whole lot. So are there certain teams that you think might surprise folks who didn't watch them down the stretch, who looked at maybe the beginning of the season or the expectations for them and uh, might be surprised at where they've arrived come tournament time? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think Tennessee's one of those. And maybe if people just tuned in and they won the SEC tournament, you'd say, hey, yeah, like this isn't surprising. But if you actually saw them in the non-conference and how poor their offense was, you would be like, well, this team's not they, – they, they can argue, but they can't really – they can't win big. Uh, they did beat Arizona at home in one of the uglier games in the first half Arizona's ever played. Um, but this team came a long way. Kennedy Chandler was the, was the stud that they had to have drive them early in the year. But the Kai Ziegler's emergence of those freshman guards has been great. Josiah Jordan-James. Santiago Vescovi has been really good. They, they play offensively way better. They share the ball. they got a bunch of guys that can handle it, make plays, and make shots. Uh, that team has really developed. And similarly, Texas Tech, same way. They Defensively, we knew they're, know they're elite, and people may recognize that. They made it to the championship game a couple years ago under Chris Beard, who's now in Texas, and may be like, yeah, we know they can guard, but if you watched them early on in the year, they played in some rock fights. Like, they just really struggled to score. Offensively, they've really progressed. They've gotten much better. Guys like Bryson Williams played at an all-league level. Donis Arms has been much better. And they actually benefited from injuries, really. Terrence Shannon and Kevin McCullough, their two best scorers, kept getting hurt. And other guys had to step up. Roles had to change. They had to develop. Um, so those two teams in particular, if you tuned in early and now you see them late, I think along with Kentucky, where teams I think have progressed a great deal and also have a chance of getting to the Final Four. And, and in my opinion, Kentucky has a chance to, to win the whole thing. Yeah, a lot of people hot in Kentucky right now. There, There's a... Uh, uh among the many teams that are in that region that could be upset providers in terms of uh, in terms of rankings, would you say that is the toughest region to get out of? The East, I mean, the East has the biggest names, um, but I don't think it's the toughest region. I, I think you know, Carolina's had major dips in form throughout the year. That's why they're an AC. But they, if they play like they did against Duke, Cameron Indoor, Sarah, they can beat anybody. The problem is we've only seen that once this year. We've seen right. that type of effort, <laughs> that type of, the intangibles, the fight, the comfort, the they get punched and punched back. And then the actual execution in terms of the game on both ends, we've only seen it once this year. Now, if they play like they did it in that game against Baylor, they probably beat Baylor. Do I bet on that? No. Um, but I do think you have other, you know, obviously Kentucky's in that bracket, UCLA uh, and, and others. Bloods. And Baylor That's being what in we that. hear. The, the formerly yeah, great. The blue bloods, but, you know, yeah. but you know what? You know what doesn't matter? History doesn't matter. Right. doesn't make a difference. Like, right. you, like nobody cares what happened in, in Kentucky in 1996 and won a title. Those guys weren't even born. Like, well, like that's, I think we can get caught up in the brand names, which are important. This Kentucky team can. I'm not exactly as sold as others on UCLA. Like, I just talked about North Carolina. Like, I realize the brand names are there. Indiana. But I don't think those teams are that difficult to beat relative to other things. I think the Midwest, it's not that it's, it's not that they're better teams necessarily, but the matchups, I think, could lead to complete chaos. Like, I don't know. I just have no clue what's going to happen there. I do have Kansas making it out, but I could easily see every higher seed maybe my, losing in the second round. Even Iowa, potentially. I mean, I like South Dakota State a lot to upset Providence. Uh, they're a team that spreads it out. They can really shoot it. They've got really good uh, guard play and, and some versatile bigs. Uh, but I think that whole bracket, and with Auburn, too, because they've been so up and down, 
could be complete chaos. So I'm not saying that's necessarily the most difficult in terms of just teams, but when you look at the bracket, I don't know who the hell's coming out of there. Yeah, I'm glad that you're affirming a lot of what I said on Around the Horn yesterday. I think that's the, the, the easiest in terms of Kansas looking at the best competition, the Wisconsin, Auburn, Providence, who have had a lot of hiccups. So you don't know if they're going to show up mm -hmm. or look flawed the way they have. And I, my biggest upset is South Dakota State over Providence. But a lot of people, including you, have been banging the drum on the 11s over the 6s. And Stalin Cuff, by the way, with me here on Spain and Fitz, ESPN College Basketball Analyst. You got all the 11s, or which one has the best shot? Who are you most leaning into on that on the 11s upsetting? Well, I do think the, the playing game is really important here. Rutgers-Notre Dame tomorrow night. If Rutgers wins as, the, as, the 11, as that 11 seed, I like them to beat Alabama. If they don't, I'm taking Alabama over Notre Dame. Uh, outside of that, I feel really good – about uh, I, I like Virginia Tech over Texas. Sarah, I think something's important to watch in this tournament, how it's officiated early on. Because the teams in the Big 12 and the Big 10, some of those things are absolute, they're wrestling matches. And they're, the, the refs let them play that way. But when you step out into the tournament, a lot of times it's called tighter. So that's important. Why I mentioned that is if Texas, if that thing's called tight with Texas and Virginia Tech, I think Texas can lose by 10 points. If they're allowed to clutch and grab, be physical, it's going to be a battle and Texas could upset them. But I am taking Virginia Tech, which is 11 seed. The Iowa State LSU game, I love Iowa State getting plus four points in this situation. I do think they can win outright. Uh, two teams that rely heavily on turning teams over. Two teams that can be very offensively challenged. I like the under as well in this game. Um, a lot of action there for that 11-6. And I, but I do like Iowa State and what T.J. Altsberger has done overall. Um, so, yeah, I like every 11-6 pretty much depending upon that uh, play-in game. And Michigan, who's the one favorite over Colorado State. I do have a bias. I love the Mountain West. <laughs> like the teams are really good. I think they're really well coached. I think it's a tough matchup, though. Hunter Dickinson's a beast for Michigan. That's what Colorado State can struggle with some size sometimes. So I think Michigan does advance and has a, a very favorable matchup in their 11-6 game. Dallin Cuff is with me here. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, solo tonight on ESPN Radio. Uh, to paraphrase another polarizing figure, Duke is a beautiful mystery. Uh, there are some people who are entirely out. Some people think they're going to rise to the occasion to send Coach K off, you know, on their shoulders. Jim Beheim in particular said he thinks that this might be a tough run for Duke because their best players are freshmen. How do you see their youth as being an, an effect on, on how they'll do? Sarah, we're Disney employees, right? We're supposed to want the story. <laughs> I know, we're supposed, we're supposed to, to want, want that It's thing. Duke, though. That's like rooting for the it villain. Is, uh, yeah. What if we want Mufasa yeah, it, it to win happen. it all? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's rooting for Jafar when you're watching Aladdin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, it's not going to happen. And it, and it is because they're young, and it's not just because they're all freshmen, the key players. Sarah, nobody on that team has played in the NCAA tournament. Wendell Moore would have gone in 2020 when we had the, camp, the COVID year, but he didn't play in it. They didn't make it last year. They have no experience in this element. And when they've had to play tight games late in a down ACC, where they were not challenged enough, they needed that league to be better, to run them through the ringer. They needed to not have COVID and miss two or three weeks around Christmas and New Year's and kind of take a step back. They needed every single practice and every single game to prepare and really be challenged. They only had a couple close games. They failed at home against Miami, failed at home against UVA, came, pulled, pulled it out at UVA on the road, failed on the road against FSU. And when they were tight, we still don't know how they want to play where they want to play, how they want to get the ball, how to get Paolo the ball late in games. They don't really do that. Defensively, if you spread them out, you can just beat them off the bounce. Mm -hmm. And we're talking teams that aren't even great guards. So I have, I, I have them beating Cal State Fullerton. I, I like Davidson to beat Michigan State in that 10-7 game. Ooh. Davidson can make you chase you around all day long. And so one of the best coaches in the country, Bob McKillop, but a bunch of dudes that can really shoot it. I realize they would struggle to guard Duke. But similar to Virginia Tech, they could have them running all over the place. Uh, if they get by that, I do think Texas Tech is where their run ends in the Sweet 16 and unfortunately, we say by the, by the Coach K at that point in time wow. is what I would think happens. I don't think they have much to get past that. 
a great analysis, but more importantly, get out of my mentions about Mufasa. I, of course, meant Scar. Uh, it's been a little while. I uh, just the name popped into my head, uh, but I would like to remain a Disney employee, and I apologize for that grievant gr- uh, error. Um, Dallin, before I let you go, we we talked about how history shouldn't matter. Does it matter for Gonzaga? Is this finally the year? It doesn't matter. What does matter is the guys in that team last year. Some of the key guys were there that helped get them to the championship game. So that experience matters. Ancient history doesn't matter. Your personal experience as a team and as a coach impacts what's going on here. So I think Gonzaga is capable of winning. I had them losing to Texas Tech. I'm big on the Red Raiders. We've seen the blueprint with Gonzaga. You get up, you get physical in them, you take them out of their flow offensively, they can struggle. We saw Duke do that in the non-conference, and to some extent, Alabama did it to them too. We saw Baylor do it. Again, Baylor's a different animal last year, but kind of first laid out that blueprint. Then St. Mary's replicated it, but from the inside out. They dominated him on the interior, pushed through Timmy off the block. He was ineffective. But again, they had no flow to their offense. They had no rhythm. And if you can get physical and take their rhythm away, go back to refereeing. If Texas Tech's allowed to play the way they've always played, then I think they can take the Zags out. And they've already played them. That's a rematch. Texas Tech lost in December. It's a much different Red Raider team. I already went over that with you. The offensive change, yes, Gonzaga's gotten better. But I think Texas Tech's delta has been greater. And I like them beating the Zags in Elite Eight. Ooh, Dallin Cuff, giving you some gems here. Hope y'all are writing this down. You can follow him at Dallin Cuff on Twitter. Thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it. Enjoy the tourney. Anytime, Sarah. Be well. It's Spain and Fitz. Solo Spain tonight. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your car, home, motorcycle, commercial auto, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. Like I said, you could take me on in the brackets. Fitz as well. We've got a Spain and Fitz women's bracket and a Spain and Fitz men's bracket. I've also got it around the horn bracket uh, for the women and the men. Excuse me. And then there's one that's just Sarah Spain's group, uh, that's just the men. Now, I'm a little bit concerned because this year ESPN did it differently and they set up a login for you, and now I have to have a bracket of integrity across those groups. And you guys who listen to the show, though, I never have a bracket of integrity. I always hedge my bets, and I put different ones in each of those groups, so I have different opportunities to pretend like I you know, made the correct picks every time. Uh, so I think I'm going to create some extra Sarah Spain one, two, three. Throw them in those groups as well. So you'll be competing against several versions of me, and whichever one succeeds the most will be the one, of course, I claim is the one I really believed in. Uh, But I just retweeted it. At Sarah Spain is where you can find the links to all of those groups. So jump in. Maybe we'll have a we will have a prize. We'll see. Uh, Ryan Clark's going to join us next to talk about the early moves of the NFL legal tampering period. It's next. Spain and Fitz. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain riding solo tonight on this Tuesday. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And Spain and Fitz is brought to you by My Computer Career, training for a better life. So happy to welcome in one of our faves here on Spain and Fitz, Ryan Clark, joining me, Sarah Spain, on ESPN Radio, our ESPN NFL analyst. And the moves are coming fast and furious Let's quick talk about Aaron Rodgers' contract. $150 million in guarantees over the next three seasons. He told us it wasn't about the money, but that's a lot of money, Ryan. What do you make of this deal? <laughs> hey, you know what? People who have a lot of money always say it's not about the money. Right, you know, you right. That's like people beautiful going, people it's not, it's say it's, it doesn't matter what you look like. <laughs> right, exactly. It's easy when you have it. Um, I think Aaron Rodgers has been setting himself up to be in this position since last year's draft when Adam Schefter you know, broke the news that he was disgruntled about the way things were going 
in Green Bay. And he's had the leverage ever since the team decided to give him a seat at the table at the beginning of training camp. And I was on with Mike Tannenbaum this morning. He was speaking about Tom Brady taking smaller deals throughout mm-hmm. his career and how that's helped teams. Well, that's not everybody's responsibility. And Tom Brady is also the outlier. He's the anomaly. And so Aaron Rodgers, two-time back-to-back reigning MVP, playing at an extremely high level, also with the leverage on his team, now gave himself more leverage. Because every year, now Sarah, that comes up with this deal, they'll be waiting to figure out whether or not he's the quarterback of their football team in the upcoming season, and they'll have to restructure in order to create cap room to sign other players. I think what Aaron Rodgers has done is genius, but it may not help his team win championships. Yeah, he gave himself a ton of security, which is what he wanted all along in this whole thing and the control in the situation. Unfortunately, when you say Tom Brady's the outlier, it it shows up in the number of rings he has. And maybe that's the thing that eventually Aaron Rodgers will look back and say, I should have made that the top priority. Uh, We'll have to wait and see on on the rest of the moves the, the Packers make, see if they can fill in around him. What do you make of the Vikings and Kirk Cousins? I I guess I'm not shocked because they put themselves in a bit of a tough spot, but doubling down a little bit. (laughs) Is Kirk Cousins not the ski mask, put the money in the bass king, (laughs) money in the bag king of the NFL? Oh, my God. Like, Kirk Cousins, from a – like, just really think about it, Sarah. From a business standpoint, the type of money that Kirk Cousins has made does not match up with the success, mm-hmm. does not match up with the win, does, does not match up with the output. Now, he's a good quarterback. Don't get me wrong. Kirk Cousins is a good starting quarterback, but he's not great. But he's continued to get these deals, whether it be being franchised twice um, in Washington or getting to Minnesota and getting that full, fully guaranteed contract, doubling down and getting another one, and now extending to get the money that he's gotten. Now, Kirk Cousins has been absolutely phenomenal from a business standpoint. When it comes to what he's been as a quarterback, though, it's not the same. And I think when you're the Minnesota Vikings and you continue to pay the piper in the way they did with Kirk Cousins or have with Kirk Cousins, but you're still on the outside looking in when it comes to playoffs, that's an issue. That's an issue from your executive. That's an issue an issue from your new GM. And it's an issue for your new coach. And I think when they look back on it, they'll realize some of the mistakes that this organization has made when it comes to Kirk Cousins' contracts. Yeah, and unfortunately for him, some of those long-term box score type things are not talked about and easily made it to headlines the same way his primetime failings are. So it's always going to be the lead thing is how much money he makes and how he fails on those big stages. We're talking to Ryan Clark about the opening of the the legal tampering period. We know that it's legal tampering and not official deals because of Randy Gregory. We got handshakes and not signatures. What are the Cowboys going to do about that? And in general, it seems like they are just leaking players. Yeah, the, the Cowboys are in a kerfuffle. Um, right now, they, they're they in a bad spot. You know, Sarah, like, I really wasn't tripping about Amari, right? He had $20 million guaranteed here in March, and, you know, he was a player that didn't play up to expectations last year. You have Michael Gallup signed. You have C.D. Lamb, who's your true number one. You know, that made sense to me. Then you lose Cedric Wilson. I get you may not want to pay that money. But Randy Gregory was a must-have. This is the guy who played, you know, the most games he's played in a season this year. Had the type of production that you need to help bring a guy like Micah Parsons along. This defense that was terrible under Mike Nolan was largely successful because of Dan Quinn and what Randy Gregory was able to add. And you have a deal done, and because of some of the forfeiture language in it, he signs with the Denver Broncos. This is a huge issue. 
And this is an issue that has to be addressed. They need that pass rush. They're going to need some other players on the back end. And it seems like they're leaking talented football players out, but they aren't replacing them with things that they Mm -hmm. need to build a championship caliber roster. And I'll be interested to see what Steven and Jerry Jones do moving forward to fill not only to fill Randy Gregory's spot, but to build this roster up at some of its weaker points. Yeah, it feels like it's almost more of a defensive team than offensive at this point. So losing Randy Gregory doesn't help them continue to try to make that the priority or the focus and the way that they're going to win games. Talking to Ryan Clark here about the NFL moves that are coming fast and furious. Let's talk to Sean Watson. Of course, there are so many things that still need to be figured out. I imagine all the teams that are interested are on the phone with Roger Goodell figuring out if any kind of suspension or punishment will be levied. Uh, But in the meantime, we're hearing a lot of teams interested. Panthers and Saints have made trade offers we heard the Colts got rejected and now the Falcons the sleeper does that seem like a good spot for you um it's not a spot that can win right now Sarah to be honest you know you look at the Atlanta Falcons and their roster they don't even have a starting wide receiver you know there's no Calvin really you just lose Russell Gage to the Tampa Bay um, Buccaneers and so I'm not necessarily sure this is a spot that he goes to right now and they become a winner now if you could sell Deshaun Watson on the long-term plan of Arthur Smith. If you can say, you know, two years from now, you know, we could, we, we will, we will compete to win the NFC South. If you could say, you know what, as you grow being a kid that is from Georgia and you can sell him the Michael Vick sort of, 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 of dream that you can be loved here in Atlanta. This is a place that is your home. You will be embraced. This is a place that will protect you, especially with some of the things that he has right now going on off the field. Then I think that's the only reason Atlanta makes sense to me for Deshaun Watson. When you have teams like, you know, the New Orleans Saints and the Carolina Panthers, even the Cleveland Browns that at this point are more built to win when you insert a quarterback like Deshaun. Yeah, we also know that there's more of a relationship that can be expected with Deshaun and ownership if he goes to the Falcons. Arthur Blank allegedly, you know, having positive feelings about him. Um, and that's something he clearly did not feel good about in his relationship with the Texans was the relationship with uh, front office and executives. So uh, that's one benefit that could happen to him uh, going to Atlanta. Uh, let's talk about uh, the potential for the Chargers and the Broncos to win the offseason. Who's leading that race, or is there someone else in the running for you right now who's won the offseason so far? Well, you know, you know, you know, right now, when you look at the Denver Broncos, the, the Russell Wilson trade is what helps them win the race. Obviously, the Los Angeles Chargers getting J.C. Jackson, acquiring Khalil Mack, really bolstering a defense that, uh, just to put it lightly, was poof. You know, they, they needed to do some of those things. But to get a guy like Randy Gregory defensively, but to add a championship-caliber, Super Bowl-winning quarterback um, and Russell Wilson, who's also a great leader, I just think that nothing you can do in the game of football is bigger than acquiring a Super Bowl-caliber quarterback. Acquiring a quarterback that is immediately a false multiplier on your team, especially when you have some of the skill players already in place that the Denver Broncos have, and also a defense that played extremely well in spots last year. I think the Denver the team that has to feel the best about their offseason, at least on paper. Ryan Clark is with us here. Last question for you. Tom Brady, no surprise to a bunch of us, unretired, but how good can the Bucks be, and how much is it going to require folks to say, I'll take less because I want to play with him? I think you've already seen that happen, Sarah. A guy like a Ryan Jen who could have demanded more on the open market. Once he gets his quarterback back, he decides uh, to sign his contract. And I think we'll see 
more players do that again because we've watched them do that throughout Brady's tenure, not only in New England, uh, but in Tampa Bay in this very short period of time. There's still a ton of work to be done, you know, figuring out, you know, Chris Godwin's contract, but also when he'll be back. They went out and got Russell Gage as well. Now the Gronkowski piece has to fall. They have to figure out who's going to be in that running back room. But when you have Tom Brady, you got a chance, you know, you have a shot. And I think that's what Tampa Bay feels right now. And for sure, Sarah, for sure, there was no way Bruce Arians was going to be able to convince me that he was excited about Blaine Gabbert going into training camp <laughs> as his starter. So I'm sure he's as relieved as you could possibly be walking around in his fedora. Yeah, meanwhile, Blaine Gabbert gets to be just like Chase Daniel, keep taking those paychecks and not have to see the field. I know they want to play. We always say that about backups, but it's still not a bad gig. Hey, Ryan, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a great day, Sarah. I got uh, Chase Daniel on the mind because uh, Michael Jr. was uh, tweeting out about him signing with the Chargers on a one-year $2.25 million deal, and Golik Jr. worked it out to about $150,000 per pass attempt over his career. Nice work if you can get it. And you got to be a guy everybody likes and hardworking and all that. So congrats to Chase Daniel. Hey, did you know that you could listen to Spain and Fitz commercial free? That's right. You can listen to all your favorite ESPN radio shows and much more without the ads on TuneIn, the best audio app for sports fans. Just download the TuneIn app to get started. Solo Spain tonight here on Spain and Fitz. And are you ready for Kyrie Irving 2.0? That's right. Somehow New York is already in repeats. We're going to get into it next. Spain and Fitz. It's not quite summertime in Chicago, but it was like 60 today, so I will allow this. Normally, I would tell you March is way too early to get me thinking summertime. It's usually snowing here, but I'll take it. 63 or something tomorrow? Okay. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Uh, summertime means baseball. We're going to get into a baseball story here, but I want to set it up by talking about something that happened in hoops last night. Carl Anthony Towns scoring 60 points. Six Zero. He had 56 through three quarters for the Wolves last night against the Spurs. He shot 19 for 31, 17 rebounds as they won 149-139. First NBA player with 60 points and 17 rebounds in a game since Shaq in 2000. And it's Spain and Fitz, by the way, solo Spain tonight here on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Uh, special about what Cat did, not just his performance on the court, but today... He tweeted out, yesterday was two years to the date that my parents walked into the ER at JFK Medical Center in Edison, New Jersey, and were admitted with COVID-19. The same hospital that my mother gave me life, and tragically the same hospital where I saw her life begin to slip away. Two years later, I walked into AT&T Center with the greatest guardian angel that I could ever ask for and dropped 60 against the winningest coach of all time. I say this to say, no matter what life throws at you, you can come out of it stronger. Tough times don't last. Tough people do. Miss you, Mama. This game, my life, is for you. And I think the further and further we get away from the beginning of this pandemic and the less we're paying attention to the numbers and the specifics, the easier it is to forget that we are almost at a million lives lost in the U.S. alone to COVID. And that there are people in sports, just like Carl Anthony Towns, who have been very deeply and personally affected. He lost not only his mother, but several other family members to the disease. And that's all to say that as we're about to start round two, season two of Kyrie, this time with Aaron Judge in New York, we continue to see people who seem to have lost the perspective on the conversation. Now, I don't have time for you. If you want to come to me and argue that vaccines don't work, science, facts, experts, numbers, 
statistics, literally everything is on my side. Vaccines work. They make it less likely for you to get it. They make it less likely for you to spread it because then you don't have it. And if you do get it, the symptoms are less serious and you are less likely to die or be hospitalized. Facts, period. If you are still arguing that this far into it, go ahead and send me some evil messages in my menchies about how I'm a left-wing communist. I'm already getting them. They don't affect me. What does affect me is the sports world continuing to be given the exemptions and priorities of things that we believe heal our nation and our society during tough times and them using those exemptions to make things worse. And that is the case when you have a massive, massive platform and you use it to spread disinformation or to downplay the importance that we all have personally to do our part to make things better. And that's what Kyrie has done. He's allowed to make that decision and he will face the consequences of not getting vaccinated, which have been his inability to play in New York City and Canada. He can make that decision. Again, no one is forcing him to get vaccinated, but if he chooses not to, this is what happens. And you remember that Kevin Durant is trying to essentially threaten or bully the mayor into making an individual decision for Kyrie, despite 1,400 plus New York City municipal city workers being fired last month because they refused to get vaccinated. But he wants a special exemption for a basketball player to play basketball, despite needing to impress upon people that it's still incredibly important to get vaccinated and boosted and continue to do our part. Here's what Kevin Durant said. It's ridiculous. Like, it just feels like at this point now, somebody's trying to make a statement or a point um, to flex their authority. Um, but, you know, everybody out here looking for attention, and that's what I feel like the, the mayor wants right now, some attention, you know. Um, but he'll figure it out soon. He better. Um, but it just didn't make any sense. Like, there's unvaxxed people in this building already. We got a guy who uh, can come into the building. And I guess, are they fearing our safety? With, like, I don't get it. So, yeah, we're all confused. Pretty much everybody in the world is confused at this point. Early on in the season, you know, people didn't understand what was going on. But now it just looks stupid. So hopefully, Eric, you, you got to figure this out. So you know when people, like, say the thing that they're doing and blame you of doing it? I mean, trying to flex their power, trying to get attention. That's what the Nets are doing. That's what Kyrie did when he intentionally walked into that game after it had already started in that flashy coat, shaking hands with the owner on the sideline, making sure he was seen and known to be in there. That's what Kevin Durant is doing by using his platform and the microphone to call out the mayor. And yes, we all agree that right now, as there continue to be changing protocols and mandates that change, some of them don't make sense in terms of just flat out what makes you safe or not. Why can an unvaccinated person compete when they're visiting and not there? Obviously, part of it is the rules that people can make for the own residents of their cities versus visitors and et cetera and so on. But even so, the reason we are in a position now to have maybe mask mandates lifted is in part because mask mandates worked and vaccinations worked. Meanwhile, you look across the globe and there are some bad signs that we might have to have another setback. China's government has locked down a city of over 17 million people that is currently having its worst ever COVID-19 outbreak, including the beginning of the outbreak. People are always talking about how the wastewater samples that the CDC uses to predict the next wave, that's how they're able to do it. Well, a third of them in the U.S. right now that are being sampled are showing an uptick in cases. So we might be back for another wave, and yet people are arguing as if the reason we haven't gotten to this place where we are not all stuck in our houses isn't because of the measures that we have taken and need to continue to take. With Spain, it fits, by the way, solo Spain. The reason I bring this up today, again, 
is because this is what Aaron Judge said today when he was asked whether he's vaccinated. You know, I'm, I'm still focused on you know, just getting through the first game of spring training, so I think we'll, we'll cross that bridge whenever um, you know, <laughs> the time comes. But right now, so many things could change, so I'm not really too worried about that right now. Okay, a couple things. I mean, if only you'd had an extended period of time to spend thinking about the first game of spring training. Oh, wait, you did, because the lockout just happened, and this is super delayed, and you had plenty of time to focus not only on this, but the first game of spring training. In fact, you could have thought about them at the same time. Some of us hold multiple thoughts and concerns in our brains at once. Also, sure sounds a lot like Kyrie. Things could change. Well, have they changed yet? Or did you miss half the season, Kyrie? And are you now currently missing half the games? And are you now still crossing your fingers and toes hoping that a mandate will change so that you can play instead of you changing because of all of the science and facts that have proved you wrong? Now, Aaron Judge missing every game in New York and Toronto is not going to fly. And I am not here for another season. I mean that literally in terms of sports season and also in the soap opera that is New York sports versus New York laws. I am not here for that again. We already got a turd in the punch bowl at the start of baseball with Tatis Jr.'s injury and the three months he's going to miss. We already got several turds in the form of most of my favorite Cubs players not being in uniform. I need just some good baseball. I need to be enlightened and, and lifted up by stats and stories and, and, and games and all the interesting stuff. I don't need to spend all of my time belaboring this point over and over again for a new sport and a new series of players. It could be not just Judge as well. He happened to be the one asked that question today, but... Left to be seen what players on the Mets and the Yankees might face this. Man, <sighs> it's frustrating. We've been here a long time, folks. I would love to emerge from it and feel better about it, but we still got to deal with all this stuff. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Solo Spain. NBA is on ESPN Radio. Tune in tomorrow night. Speaking of the Nets, they're hosting the Mavs, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 7 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. I wonder if Kyrie will be listening. Uh, we're one day away from the women's NCAA tournament getting underway. A lot of changes this year. We'll get you updated on how the new look tournament will be an evolution and what needs to be fixed still. And also tell you if there's a team that can get in South Carolina's way. It's next. It's Spain and Fitz. Solo Spain tonight on ESPN radio. The ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Talked to Dallin Cuff earlier in the show about the men's tournament brackets. Games are underway now. You can go back and find that on the podcast later for Spain and Fitz if you want to hear his tips on getting your brackets right to compete against me and Fitz. Everybody on Around the Horn. There's a bunch of different groups you can join. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to find all that. Try to beat us and Monica McNutt, ESPN basketball analyst, fellow around the horner, the beautiful, the talented, the wonderful, incredible, calling the game the other night, crushing it at every level, <laughs> and helping me out tonight by joining me to talk about the women's bracket. Monica, thanks for coming on. Um, I, clearly, I need to join your show at last minute more often because I'm used to being hazed by you in a loving kind of way, but those were like <laughs> legit compliments, so I appreciate it. Yeah, no, it. <laughs> I owe you big time, so, you know. At the end, I usually say, like, awesome outfit and you crushed it, but I got to start out with talking a little smack. That's just who we are. Um, let's talk about the women's brackets because, uh, you know, in recent years, the parody has been incredible. There's been a lot more upsets and surprises than there used to be. And we've got a true number one, South Carolina, the clear front runner. 
do you think that they've got the real goods to go all the way, or are they still, you know, potentially going to get upset like we've seen in recent years with some of the other number ones? Is both a fair answer, Spain? Sure. I think I would. I definitely think South Carolina is the clear cut favorite, but we watched them lose to a very what's the best word I want? Deliberate, upstart, um, gritty. Kentucky squad. I also will add Moody to Kentucky because I was quite honestly surprised that they made such a comeback in the second half of that ball game. And South Carolina came up short. I think that loss actually probably will propel them because everybody remembers last year on the way to the um, national championship, potentially Aaliyah Boston crumbling. And I think that last year's experience really sticks with this group and is going to propel them forward. Plus being upset in the SEC tournament championship, I think that they are probably locked in on another level. So I'm still going with South Carolina as a favorite. But if they run into Stanford again, um, that's another great game. We had a great game in the regular season between those two. Uh, and I think, you know, Stanford does a couple things different. That's, there's not going to be a cakewalk. I'll put it that way. You mentioned Aaliyah Boston. She is a favorite for National Player of the Year alongside Caitlin Clark of Iowa. We know that those teams could meet but I am not as hyped about the matchup based on how those teams would face each other because South Carolina has the defense to survive. I don't think Iowa's deep enough beyond Caitlin Clark. If if Iowa, first of all, survives Iowa State or, or the rest of that region, do you see them really giving South Carolina a challenge? Shane, we are kindred spirits on this. Like, I know everybody's excited about the head-to-head matchup in terms of the player of the year conversation, but I'm with you. Like, yes, Aaliyah Boston is the, sort of the headliner for South Carolina. But their guards, Dustin Henderson, Zaya Cook, I mean, they've had those guards in particular, I think, have a different grasp on the pace with which, with which South Carolina needs to play. Um, and so I think that supporting cast of South Carolina defensively, they're going to be a nightmare. And I think offensively, they're too fast for Iowa. So I think that's going to be a, a decent ball game, but I don't know that it's going to live up to all of the hype that, that's been put on it so far. I do like the matchup just for the star power. We love that. We love. Right. We saw that, what, like 5 million people watched Beckers versus Clark last year in the regular season, so especially for what it can do for the women's game, we love to see those superstar matchups. I'm just not as concerned about that being uh, a roadblock for South Carolina. Uh, Monica McNutt is with me here on ESPN Radio, our basketball analyst for ESPN. You can follow her at McNutt Monica. On the other hand, I'm a little more concerned about something standing in the way of NC State and their region, and that is the potential Dude. of facing UConn in Bridgeport. Congrats on the number one seed. If you make it far enough, we're going to send you right into UConn's backyard to a region that's full of their fans. That's messed up. Dude, the, I, when the brackets were coming down, I was in the airport, but I'm following on Twitter, and I was like, wait, what? Like, to me, your bottom one seed gets stuck in the bracket with, the, mm-hmm. with UConn at home, basically, in the two seed, which would have been Louisville, which would have gave us shades of the old Big East, which I'm all for. I don't think that – I don't think South, – not South Carolina, North Carolina State deserves that. I was actually really disappointed in that particular alignment. They've been terrific all year long. Alyssa Kunane, um, the, the guard whose name I'm blanking on, you know, I watch a gazillion uh, different basketball games. Raina Perez. I mean, they've been so solid. They got – Boyd, Jakia Boyd, who's been terrific as a sophomore this year. Like, I thought that was an unfair draw for NC State. And now I will say this. Paige Beckers has not played Paige Beckers minutes yet down the stretch. She's averaging about 14 Mm -hmm. in the games that she's returned. And I do think that UConn has gotten better from when she first went down. But the Big East is not the ACC. And so should those teams meet up again, 
I mean, Olivia Nelson Adoto would have to play a terrific game. Aaliyah Edwards has to play a terrific game because to me, Elizabeth Kunane is focused. And NC State shoots the lights out in terms of three. And outside of Mika Mule, who can be kind of streaky at the three spot, and Beckers, I the three point shooting is kind of touch and go when I think of the matchup potentially with UConn. So I still would lean NC State if that happens. But God, that home court advantage, like that's going to really play mm-hmm. a factor. Yeah, and Monica McNutt is with me here, Spain and Fitz, solo Spain tonight. I mean, we have to talk about Gino. You know, the UConn win the Big East. Uh, of course they're better with Paige Becker's back. Of course they're better with the healthy AZ FUD. But Gino, after they win it, being like, hey, we remember what people said about us. It was you! You were the one <laughs> talking smack about yourself. You said your players were stubborn and most of them couldn't play. <laughs> I mean, even if he was doing that to try to inspire a team that he thought needed to light a fire under their butts, it was still, it, that was very rich, Monica. A hundred percent. And I think at this point, Gino has probably internally and publicly, to your point, sort of, I hate to use the word berate, but it might be fitting. Um, he's talked down that now it's like this roller coaster ride where now it's time for us to trend up. So let me show you how proud of you I am that you have dealt with me and everybody else. And look, here we are. And so I get it. He's like putting out a United front as we roll into the tournament. And, oh, look, by the way, you get to play an hour away from home. So whoop de doo like, I kind of get it in terms of the theatrics, but I'm with you. Like, you know, come on. Don't, don't do that. Don't right. even do that. Like, and I know he likes to add drama to the game, but his quote was, there was this perception early on at one point that without Paige, we're not very good, you know, which, again, by the way, he literally said just that. He said, and then he said I, yes, I heard him say that yeah, multiple and, times. And then he said, <laughs> An ex-coach who doesn't know much about anything said that recently, and I think we proved her wrong. And he was referring to Muffet McGraw, who, by the way, went to nine (laughs) Final Fours, seven championship games, has like a 900 to 270 record. Like, that that stuff is a little much for me. I appreciate the drama. I like the content. But tone it down a little, Gino, okay? Um, Speaking of, (laughs) we talk a lot about UConn, and rightly so. They have been a dominant force in this game, but there are a lot of teams that maybe those who aren't as up on the women's game need a little refresher on. Who are some of the players America should familiarize themselves with before the tourney starts? Ooh, okay. So I think people know the the number one seeds overall, Louisville, Stanford, South Carolina, um, and NC State. But I'm actually going to go with the three-seed Iowa State. Ashley Jones is terrific. And in the first four, let me back up, in the first four for the women's game, and I didn't know this until the waning weeks of the regular season, the actual consecutive double-double leader for a long time this season until Aaliyah Boston got her 23rd was a player named Anisha Murrow at DePaul. I talked to my homegirl who's on the assistant coaching staff at Georgetown. Georgetown plays DePaul in conference. She's like, yo, man, no, she's a pro. Like, she's a bucket. Apparently, she's like, 6'4", guard skills, does it all. Um, someone said to me that she's going to draw players to DePaul so that Bruno has that Amazing. slide back into the top 25 in no time. So look out for Anisha Murrow. They play Dayton in the first four. Um, I think beyond that one in the opening, I think Notre Dame, you got to keep an eye out for them. Um, they've got a player, Sonia Krein, who was uh, an ACC, all-ACC team member. Um, Neil Ivy has done a great job with those guys. I think Oregon is one that folks shouldn't sleep on. We all remember last year, those guys were sort of the catalyst in terms of the larger conversation. Tatu Sabli's sister, Nayara, is there. Um, They've got a great guard uh, who's just tremendous, and so I think that group is one to watch. Um, And then, let me think, who else? Kentucky. I will say Kentucky. I think that they are hot right now. And Ryan Howard is in the conversation of being the number one pick 
in the women's or in the women's basketball in the WNBA potentially. Um, but they're really hot right now. They got some good things going. They're playing with momentum. Now they do have to face a Princeton squad who plays, you know, lots of threes at Ivy league off- offense. So we'll see if they can cool them off a little bit, but I would definitely say Ryan Howard. And then I think you don't want to sleep on Baylor. Melissa Smith, also another player that's in the conversation um, loosely for player of the year, even though it seems to be a two woman race so far. So, those are some other names outside of those one seeds that I'm certainly keeping an eye out on. But I think awesome. this tournament is going to be really, really fun. Oh, got to throw in Virginia Tech, too. Asia Shepard is like one. I believe she got the record for three-pointers made at Virginia Tech this year. And Liz Kitley was actually ACC Player of the Year and not Alyssa Tunane. Um, and that's a team that's kind of flirted with success. And I think a five seed is one of their highest seeds um, in a while to get into the NCAA tournament. So those are just a few. Just a few awesome stuff. I know y'all feel a lot more ready for your brackets, so get on in there and compete with Monica and me in the Around the Horn Challenge and all the other challenges. Thank you, Monica. I so appreciate it. No problem. Enjoy the rest of your show, my friend. Follow her at McNutt Monica for all of those gems about the women's game, NBA, everywhere else. The ESPN Rate is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive Commercial Insurance protects small businesses with affordable coverage options. Quote today at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Fire up the circus music. We got some people joining the clown car. Next. It's solo Spain tonight. Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're going to get to a new driver of our clown car. But Kyrie Irving... His ears must be burning from that segment when I was talking about him because 41 points in the first half. Nets have a healthy, healthy, thick 86-56 lead on the Magic right now. Magic actually been a really good defensive team of late, but not tonight. 41 for Kyrie. My guy Josiah Johnson, who always gets it right on Twitter, said Kyrie dropped 41 in the first half. Nash got to let him go for 80 since he got to have tomorrow off anyways. Good point. We know he's not playing tomorrow in the home game. We'll see what Kyrie does the rest of this game. Tuesday Roundup brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. I wish Fitch, Fitz, also Fitch, whoever that is, I wish that person was here too. I wish Fitz was here because this is one of our favorite segments. I was trying to think back to the originator of the clown car, the one who started the driving, uh, and I can't, but, uh, but I'll go back and do some digging. I know a few of the folks that are in it. And we got a repeat offender tonight, but we've got a new driver. So let's get to the clown car. Ah, that's right. The Spain and Fitz clown car full of folks who uh, go above and beyond in the sports world to truly be clowns. Today, it's Tom Brady, senior. Yeah, Tom Brady, senior, who went on Greeny. And we always appreciate guests here on ESPN Radio. And I would never, of course, criticize or talk down to anyone who gave their time to talk to our lovely lineup of hosts, except for maybe Tom Brady Sr. because of what he had to say today, blaming who else but the media for Brady announcing his retirement and then unretiring. What happened eight weeks ago was a bunch of people reported that he was retiring, and he, you know, before he was ready. I mean, right after the after they lost, these losses are painful. They you don't uh, you don't just roll over and get up and get going. It it's painful at the end of the year putting six months in and and uh, all of the heartbreak and all of the joy, but. It's hard. It's emotionally wrenching. And lo and behold, you, it's like your car is out of gas. And then somebody asks you a question, and then everybody's telling you, telling everybody that they know what was, they were doing. I mean, they were announcing his retirement before he even retired. And the media made the news. Mm-hmm. He, he was not ready to make any decision and didn't make any decision. But Schefter and Darlington 
uh, stated it as fact, and, you know, he hadn't made any decision on that. So, lo and behold, uh, after he had time to reflect with his family and, you know, what gives him the greatest joy in his life, and they all agreed that this is the path forward that, that works best for, for the Brady family. Oh, wow. There is there is so much to get to. Let's just start. I mean, I appreciate the power that he has instilled in Adam Schefter and Jeff Darlington, that they could force Tom Brady, a man who has many, many times talked about how he wants to play till he's 45 and maybe later, how, how, how long he has been plagued by rumors that he might be, you know, too old to do it again. I appreciate that they have the power to simply report and, and I guess in this case, make up that he would be ready to retire and that he would just acquiesce and say, all right, I guess I'll hang him up then. A man who has been pushed out for a decade plus by a variety of different talking heads. A man who has literally faced this question every year for like a decade. Heard from Darlington and Schefter that he might be one foot out the door and he just said, oh, it just seems like too much work to tell them I'm not leaving. I'll just go ahead and retire. Are you kidding me? And then he says, it's painful. It's hard to lose. Duh. That's why you wait to make a decision and an announcement. And if there are reporters out there making that announcement for you, do just what he originally did, which is say, I'm not ready to make that decision. And then you make it when you are ready. And then you do it for yourself. You're a 44-year-old man. And you're going to tell me that you sat down and wrote that it's still extremely weird statement that never once mentioned the Pats about not being in it for the competitive grind again. That you could sat, sit down, or maybe someone else wrote it for you. It doesn't matter. You're a 44-year-old man, and your dad, first of all, here's another thing. Your dad is going to go on the radio and speak for you and tell everyone that it was the media. The big bad media made him retire. Meanwhile, by the way, no mention of Rob Ninkovich, who was the one who I believe first went out and said, I would not be surprised at all if he left after this season. And then Seth Wickersham was on ESPN Daily talking to Pablo today and said that was all around the camp. Everybody around that Bucks team was talking about how there were indications from Brady that he might not want to run it back again. And those indications are not more than that until you come out and release a statement saying you're done. Not Schefter, not Darlington, not Ninkovich, not anyone else. So to blame it on them, I mean, the media gets a rap for a lot of things. A lot of them. And we deserve some of it. Some of us are trash. Remember, we're not a monolith, so, you know, you can't just say the media, because that's, you know, all the writers from ESPN and also those from Horse and Hound. Uh, if you don't get that reference, um, watch some more rom-coms. But honestly, that's clown car material. Also, I would never be that person like so many are to make fun of Tom Brady spending 41 days with his family and being like, nah, I'm good. But I do love the dismount from Tom Brady Sr. of his family, which is his greatest joy, is why he's returning to play football and spending as little time with them as possible. It just, it just added to all of it. By the way, in 2014, Tom Brady said, when I suck, I'll retire. But I don't think that's going to be for a long time. He does not suck. He set own personal records last year. He is great. I knew this wasn't going to happen. I just wish he hadn't given us the rigmarole of acquiescing to Schefter and Darlington's incredible pressure after a decade of people saying he's going to retire or should so that we didn't have to go through this all over again. I'm also worried about the Brady movie because I think it's an excellent cast. 
I just think 80 for Brady sounds like a movie I would like to see. It's honestly the first thing that is involving Brady that I would make appointment television or, or movie going. Um, not as interested in his football play of late because he's always beating up on teams that I like. But clown car driver Tom Brady Sr., congratulations. I would like to point out that a previous member of the clown car, Aaron Rodgers, is still riding in the back seat, mainly for telling us it wasn't about the money and then getting paid. And also because... That $150.815 million over the next three years, with two of those fully guaranteed at signing, means that if Aaron Rodgers retires or the Packers move on after 2023, they would have a $68 million dead cap hit on the books. Just incredible stuff. And I'm not dogging him for getting it done. That's what he wanted and he got it done. But making Pat McAfee trot out and tell everyone you weren't in it for the money and then signing that deal, you, sir are also in the clown car. We'll talk about inclusion, opportunity, and the Rams Super Bowl with Les Sneed coming up next. Solo Spain tonight. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive Commercial Insurance protects small businesses with affordable coverage options. Quote today at ProgressiveCommercial.com. So excited to have Super Bowl champion GM of the Los Angeles Rams with us here on the show, Les Snead. We're going to get into, of course, what this offseason has been like, uh, getting ready to rock that big ring. But I want to talk about the Women in Football Forum. It's, it was yesterday and today, and I've been a part of this just virtually ch- uh, checking in for a couple years now, and I couldn't believe the names. It was almost every coach, almost, you know, tons of GMs, McVeigh, McDermott, Dable, Goodell, McCaskey, Staley, Vrabel, Stefanski, Sneed. Um, it's just grown so much. Why was it important for you to be a part of it? it you know, it's, it's, it's important, I think, for, let's call it bigger picture, right, it, the cause, the motivation, right, behind it uh, of trying to, right, let's call it, somehow identify people who have let's go, they've been left out of football per se a little bit uh, in yeah. terms of numbers, but Oh, by the way, they, you have skill sets, qualifications uh, that could actually benefit the NFL. And I, and I think it's also too, just in, in what Sam has done and Vanessa with the program. I mean, it, it's one thing to, to have, a, I think I mentioned it yesterday, right? A, a vision that may come from, our commissioner, Roger Goodell, but have Sam, Vanessa, and everyone that's gone a part of, of, of putting that together. Anytime I'm there, I'm like, okay, this is the ideal of how, right, you bring qualified people to the table and present them to people like myself and all those names you mentioned. And every time I'm part of that, I come away going, wow, that's an impressive bunch of uh, uh, young yeah. women. Sam Rappaport, who you're talking about, uh, she actually used to play football herself. She's now the senior director of football development. But this football forum doesn't just uh, sort of abstractly pull in interested parties. They are fully vetted women who are already working in football across Division I, uh, semi-pro, other places collegiately, and they are ready to go so that when they're put in touch with owners, general managers, head coaches, executives, uh, they could be getting a job on the spot. And Sam told me already this year, while some of the women were talking on the Zoom, uh, coaches were you know texting her all right i need this resume all right i want to interview with this one it's wild uh how it's grown and how important it's been you know i think if you look at it it's 50 percent of the population that you aren't tabbing to see what they might bring to the table and i wonder what you've seen across the rams organization in terms of bringing in diversity or thinking outside of the box do you have examples of that where it's really worked out 
definitely have examples. And I think you, you bring up a good point. Uh, you know, Sam, Vanessa, everyone who's vetted these young women right there, they're somewhere, uh, right, doing something very productive uh, for some sports organization, a lot of college, college programs. And, and I like to say in the NFL, right, it's, it's we're not a developmental league, right? It's, the NFL, it's still team five. It's, it's, hey, when we hire someone, and yes, there is an element of development and training, but when you do hire someone, right, it's getting to the major leagues. You may only be batting eight. You may be a pinch hitter. And, right. and there's a, a reason why you're only batting eight or a pinch hitter or batting six. But there's also expectation, right, when, you, when you're inserted to the, the batting lineup. So I, I think what they do definitely allows most NFL teams, right, and as you just mentioned, to go, you know what, let's do this. Let's hire her because she's ready. Hey, Cassandra Garcia, who was on, our, on the call yesterday with me, we – when Tony Pastores, our VP of Football Administration, hired her, it was to help her with uh, help him with the salary cap, be a lieutenant to Tony. Well, that's the role she had. It was three to five things you got to get done every day. We like to say in our building, all right, whenever we give you a role, dominate it, and then when when you move on or what have you, you get promoted that role is now totally different because you were so much better Mm -hmm. right for being a part of that role. Well, Cassandra ended up showing or or displaying this skill set that when COVID hit, she basically became our IOC leader. When we went to the Super Bowl this year, she was a big part. When you go to the Super Bowl, there's, there's so many logistics, right. That involve families, things like that. And Cassandra was a big part of that team based on right. Coming in, dominating the role she had, if I call it batting seventh, well, <laughs> during COVID, she batted clean up during the Super Bowl, right? She was definitely one of the top, uh, you know, four to five batters uh, running our logistics. Les Snead, GM of the Rams Super Bowl champions in the NFL with me here on Spain and Fitz Solo Spain tonight on ESPN Radio. I just love watching the growth, and I think it applies. And you're right, I think Sam's approach to it could be applied uh, when it comes to diversity hiring of race, when it comes to other industries. Just the idea that you put in the time to create the pipeline so that people can stop saying there isn't one, uh, right? You, you do the work in advance, and then you let people not have to work quite so hard to find those folks. You mentioned the Super Bowl run. I, I got to ask if you could be honest we are us gas bagging you know radio and tv people we're talking about the pressure on your team from about the midway point on all or nothing going out and making those trades mid-season going out and getting stafford and selling the farm for him um did you feel that as much as we talked about it or were you a little more cool i think i think all of us internally i think once you you there, there is a, a point there, yes, where you, you realize, okay, we have a legitimate chance. And it wasn't just us, the Rams, right? But we could have been one of the, the four to probably eight teams. I do think once we got to that divisional round, there was eight teams left. Yeah. Probably for all sure. eight of those teams could have easily done their part, right, to be Super Bowl champions. But I, I think I think at that point, but we realized, okay, we – we got a chance to be one of 32, and and if you're in that room, not every team's right. Got a chance to be one of 32. They, some teams are all in on rebuilding, and nothing wrong with that because as they go through that process, guess what? And they build, they could be a team that that gets to have a chance to be one of 32. But we felt like we had a legitimate chance. Is there some things we could do 
tweak our model and let's go. And, 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 but I think internally, I think our guys going through it, you, you come in and you focus on right the, the next day, the next game, the next – I think the way, our, the way our season's structured, it allows us to not necessarily listen to the outside, which you guys are doing a really good job of, of talking about who gets to the mountaintop, who's that right. chance to get to the mountaintop. But those of us in it you know that, okay, wait a minute, it's week 10 and we still got to – you know, we still got to check the box on week 10 to even have a chance to get to that mountaintop. So I think that that allows you to kind of handle the pressure of maybe getting all the way to the top of the mountain. Extra pressure for the Rams and Les Need, the GM of the Rams, is with me here on Spade and Fitz because of the fact that you you gave up a little bit of maybes in the future for sure things in the present. And you reflected that decision with the shirt that you wore to the Super Bowl parade, F them picks. I think the only word that came to mind, I think it's what I tweeted when I saw it, was just legend. What goes into either creating or deciding to make it? And, and what did you make of the reaction to it? Well, I, I think I think obviously... I, because I have because I have teenagers and that 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 <laughs> mantra, yeah. I call I, I call that that's like a Saturday Night Live way of 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 uh, let's call it uh, describing our approach. Which yeah. and so at that moment, right? It's a, it's a celebration. It's a parade. You know, if you're ever gonna if you're ever gonna embrace the the shirt, the Saturday Night Live version of of our approach, that's the time to do it. But I, I do think big picture, Sarah. Right? It's definitely not. F those picks because if, if that was it, right, we just give them away to maybe our, you know, the Seattle Seahawks, San Fran 49ers, and Arizona Cardinals. But instead, <laughs> what we like to to look at is okay, is it is going back to that one of 32 approach? If, if we're trying to be one of 32, uh, shouldn't we be thinking maybe a little bit differently or at least trying to do something a little bit different because it's very hard to get an edge in this league and, and we've, we've used those those picks. Uh, in creative matters, and, and it also in way, it also we just sit sometimes and, and make picks, and, and and lo and behold, we have a Cooper Cup or, or even you know a Greg Gaines who starts in the Super Bowl at, at nose tackle, and it's not necessarily a, a sexy name to 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 talk about, but guess what, he he plays a part as well. Yeah, not not f all them picks, just some of them. Uh, Les Need is with me here on Spade and Fitz. LeBron James now, used hey, the word. Sarah, I can't say. Sarah, yeah. can I interrupt and say, I mean, if you're effing all the picks, like giving picks for Jalen Ramsey and Matt Stafford doesn't seem like, you know, an F those picks. It doesn't. It, it does seem like It a, says that's, you've got to give like something worthwhile. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, LeBron James also called you a legend. I'm sure that was a fun couple days around town as uh, trying to figure out how he's going to use you uh, with, the, with the Lakers situation. Um, before I let you go, I have to ask, Aaron Donald coming back? Andrew Whitworth gone. What's the attitude with this offseason in terms of who you're losing and who you get to keep, hopefully? Well, I think we would, I mean, the, the, the run it back thing, I mean, you, we definitely want to try to bring as many right players that played a big part of, of last year's run as possible. And, and with retiring, uh, we all knew this was a good possibility that this mm-hmm. could be the last chapter for him. And I, I think winning the Super Bowl was def- definitely the icing on the cake. So, with that being said, we there was an element of preparing for that over the year. Interestingly, we drafted Joe Noteboom, who you know we're planning to sign back to be an heir apparent to Wit. I think we drafted him. Seems like four years ago with one of those picks we were just talking about, but Wit just kept playing and playing and playing. <laughs> but 
Uh, over the years, uh, Joe's been able to step in and, and, and show that, you know, he can play when necessary. So there's been an, F, uh, an element of preparing for some of the losses, but we definitely want to try to keep as many of those players as possible because, right, there's, there's only one team who has a chance to run it back uh, every year, and, and I think that's, a, that's a, probably a special, let's call it, special opportunity to go compete. I know, I know a lot of our guys really want to, you know, be a part of that, that opportunity. F them picks and run it back. You already have the taglines for everything. I love it. Uh, Les, thanks so much for the time. And, and truly, I so appreciate every single one of you that I see in that women in football forum because I know how much it means to those participants and to the game and to, and to the future. So thanks so much for spending some time with me. Oh, I, and definitely. And I, and I know we came on and we talked about football and off seasons and Super Bowls, but I, I know the one reason I did want to do this is people like you, Sarah, people like Sam, we talked about, I mean, we wouldn't be Super Bowl champions without the women in our organization, without two young women on, on that call yesterday with myself. They played. They hey, Matt Stafford may have played. Matt Stafford may have added cleanup, but guess what? When 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 Cassandra's name, when Alex's name was called sometime during this year, during COVID, during Super Bowl logistics, they dominated the role, and we wouldn't be champions without them. Love to hear it. Thanks so much, Les. Thank you. Awesome stuff from the Rams GM Super Bowl winner. By the way, since 2017, 97 opportunities have been earned by the Women's Careers and Football Forum participants. Um, and that number continues to grow this year. Like I said, already some folks getting interviews and resumes sent in from this year's edition. It's Spain and Fitz. I'll get you set for the NCAA tournaments, let you know who I think is going to play spoiler this year. It's coming up next. Money! $50,000 is what the Nets were fined for allowing Kyrie Irving in the locker room during halftime the other night, and it appears he is trying to score one point for each $1,000 that they were fined. Probably more at this point because he is going off 51 points with time to go in the third. 17 to 26 from field goal, 7 of 10 from three. He is going off as the Nets are absolutely beating the brakes off of the Magic 109-82. Now, the Magic suck. They've won 18 games, but they've been really good defensively of late. Not so tonight. Uh, Kyrie Irving clearly making a statement. Maybe he was watching Carl Anthony Towns last night. It does feel like there's been a trading of these huge games of late. right? We had that stretch where it was just... You know, guys going off, player after player, kind of passing the baton, uh, whether it was uh, LeBron or Jokic or others. So Kyrie taking over the reins tonight, 51 points already. It's Spain and Fit, Solo Spain tonight, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Don't forget the brackets are open. You can download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to get started on yours. You can fill out up to 25 men's and women's brackets for a chance to win 100 thousand dollar prizes for both the men's and women's games for more details see the tournament challenge app you can also compete directly against me and fits and all sorts of experts in the around the horn bracket challenge for men's and women's the spain and fits bracket challenge and then there's even a sarah spain group to compete directly against me speaking of the first four matchups are going on. Texas Southern leading Texas A&M CC 71-62 with a minute left. The winner of that will play number one seed Kansas. Now, 
We talked about this a little, I did, with Dallin Cuff earlier, some of the uh, question marks around the brackets and, and initial takeaways from the setups. And, you know, Kansas has the best region, in my opinion. Their title odds actually moved from 14-1 to 1 to 9-1 to 1 after the bracket was released. And you look at the top competitors in that region, Auburn, Wisconsin, and Providence, they have all shown some serious flaws the last couple of weeks. They are not adored by the metrics. In fact, Providence is the team that I have facing the biggest upset and going down. They are just a two-and-a-half-point favorite against South Dakota State. I believe that is the smallest margin of predictive victory uh, for a number four seed ever. Don't quote me on that, but I believe that is the case. I think in some books they're even just a two-point favorite. Uh, and South Dakota State is on a 21-game win streak. They haven't lost since December 15th. An interesting fact about this matchup, too. So South Dakota State... Uh, incredibly hot shooting team, especially beyond the arc. And once they get hot and get going, they do not play in close games. They only have played in four games this season, decided by five points or fewer. So once they get out, they handle business and they put it away by a good margin. Meanwhile, Providence has been playing tight games all season long until that blowout loss to Creighton in the Big East. So I'm curious about how Providence would react if South Dakota State gets really hot and starts to leave them behind. Can they make up those big margins, especially against the really good shooting Jackrabbits? I just, I don't have good feelings for Providence. And because of that, again, you look at those couple competitors for Kansas and they have a much easier path than some of the other number one seeds. Baylor, for instance, is not even the betting favorite to win its region. Now, you can't always go by that, of course, because I think Duke might be the second highest odds to win it all, and most do not agree with that. Obviously, the books are trying to figure out where they could take people's monies and where they could put the lines to get people to put money down. But Baylor has a really tough Kentucky team looming in that region. Healthy UCLA that most people believe now that they've got the right guys back is underseated at a number four. So keep an eye on, on those regions. And then you've got Gonzaga, and I sent out my annual PSA about the fact that it is, in fact, Gonzaga and not Gonzaga, because you call them the Zags, not the Zogs. And I realize that's not their as actual mascot, but we do call them, and you can remind yourself that it's Gonzaga by saying in your head the Zags, not the Zogs. Um, are they finally going to get it done? I notice a lot of hate for Gonzaga, and I think it's just those perennial... Uh, tourney top seeds and people who are either frustrated that they can't finish things off or people who consider them uh, to still be an upstart and not recognize that they, they've been there consistently and they deserve respect. Um, I've got Gonzaga winning it all uh, in at least one of my brackets. <laughs> like I said, I have no bracket integrity. Um, I do not see big things for Duke and I, I don't have the kind of hatred for Duke that a lot of other people do. I don't have the hatred for coach K that a lot of other people do. I don't know if you all watched game theory, the first, first uh, show for Bamani Jones over on HBO. There was a whole lot of Duke in there. A lot of anti coach K, even a fake museum exhibit about the, uh, melanin challenge to head upset far more beloved teams like the Fab Four, uh, Fab Five. Um, so anyway, uh, I don't have the hate for them. I just don't see them going far in the men's side. And I've got South Carolina right now. Now I reserve the right to change all of my picks once the f final four, or sorry, first four are in. Um, 
I, I, I reserve the right to change them and not make these choices. But right now I do have South Carolina leading the way in the women's side. And uh, that's a lot tougher to pick than it used to be. I won't mention any names, but you got some persistently and consistently and perennially wrong people whose tweets are always bad out here talk about no parody in the women's side. Why don't you watch a tournament for once? We have had some incredible upsets, some amazing games, and a variety of winners in recent years on the women's side. So make sure you get your picks in over there as well. Try to play your hand against us. Uh, it, that, to me, is as much fun with as many insane, crazy, buzzer-beating, memorable shots in the last couple years. In fact, I found last year's women's tourney much more exciting than the men's side, It just in terms of the quality of the competition and the matchup. So I'm excited for both of them.